0: The Lord calls us to worship from Psalm 118. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. We pray to you today as the only true and living God, the one who has created all things, and the one to whom all worship, honor, and glory is due. And we humbly bow before you in your presence that we might receive from you the gifts from your hands that you choose to give. And we pray, Lord, that we would return those to you today in thanksgiving and in worship and in praise as we lift up the name of our Savior and give praise and honor to him. And Lord, we join our hearts together now and pray out loud together as you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal. I'm going to begin by asking you a question. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Titus, chapter 1. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly, through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen. Please turn in your hymnal to page number 402. We'll sing Abide With Me, Fast Falls the eventide Tide. You this morning about a favorite hymn of mine and also the time of year that we're in. Does anybody know what season we're in? Spring. Spring? And let me ask you a question. Does anybody know the hymn, This Is My Father's World? Yeah? I'm not going to ask you to sing it. It's okay. Spider
1: Man and I have a Spider Man? Yeah. Team Spidey.
0: Team Spidey. Are you I on it? <laughs> He is super species. He does. I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you, can you, and you get one guess, how many of you can tell me who made the pollen? I walked outside this morning, I did a little walk in the grass, and it looked like I had on yellow pants and shoes. And this is supposed to be a black suit, actually. So you, you're saying, who votes God made the pollen? Anybody else have a different vote? Good. Good. Well, we had one hand go up. Um, I understand. It's a bit rough. So, the pollen. Now, why do you suppose pollen exists? Because God made it. Because God made it. So bees
1: can um, take it to other flowers and make them
0: bloom. Yeah, so bees can take it to other flowers and make them bloom. And anybody else? Another idea. Why did God make pollen? Yes. So we, so we can breathe. Yes, it's necessary. We need it. Now, it does sometimes make us not be able to breathe so much. It does, it does do that. It makes it a little challenging. Last week, I, it seemed to have a nasally thing going on. A little bit, uh, little bit of an allergy. But I, I want to tell you about a line in that hymn that I mentioned. The hymn, This is My Father's World. One of the lines says, Through the rustling grass, I hear him pass. And it is one of the most comforting lines in that hymn because the the person who wrote it is saying that in the midst of everything around you, everything that you see, everything that you can smell and taste, and even the pollen that you can choke on, God made every bit of it. And he made that pollen, you should be reminded this time of year, that things don't just sprout, plants don't come up, the garden that you might be working in at home doesn't grow just because... It happens magically. It happens because God has created all things to grow. And he does it in their time and he gives seasons and times of year. So this time of year you should be reminded, even as you see pollen on the trees, pollen on your plants, pollen on your clothes and on mom and dad's car. That this is God's world he created. It's working this way because he made it this way. And he's faithful to it. And you should believe and hope that he will be faithful to you. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that you have made all things for your glory and for our good. And I pray, Lord, for our covenant children this morning that as they look outside, as they go play and they get some yellow dust on their clothes or on toys or other things, that they wouldn't just walk away and kind of be disgusted that things are dirty. But Lord, remind their hearts, even at their young ages now, that this is your world. You have made it and everything does serve and glorify you. And Lord, I pray for them that they would also remember this truth, that it would be in their minds and in their heart as they grow up, that this is your world and that they belong to you, and that they should glorify you just as the plants and the trees and the flowers do. In your name, amen. Thank you. Turn in your hymnal, if you will, to page 805. We're going to do a responsive reading from Psalm 57 together. Page 805. We're going to be reading out loud together Psalm 57. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. For in you my soul takes refuge. I I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. I am in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. I will will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let's stand together as we continue to worship. There's an insert in your bulletin. We will be singing the hymn together Is There a Heart or Bound by Sorrow? Let's stand together. Jesus, we thank you for these moments in this service of worship to come to your throne of grace as your word says to come boldly with confidence as those who belong to you, the true and living God. We cry out to you as our heavenly father and you call us your children, sons and daughters of the living God. And so we come, Lord, bringing our petitions to you by faith, believing that because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we may call upon your name and that You hear us when we pray. Lord, we thank You for Your care and Your love and concern in our lives, that You do pour out Your Spirit on us, that we might walk in Your ways and know Your Word and understand it, and be able to call to mind the Scriptures that You have hidden in our hearts. Lord, I pray for Your people today. I pray for those who are here this morning in our hearing, that we may look at Your Word hear it and understand it, that we might believe it by faith, that we would see it with eyes that see the Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who are going through many difficulties, many trials and tribulations in this life that are particularly hard this morning, things that they carry with them, that they walked in the doors this morning with, that they didn't get to leave at home or leave in the car or leave at the office this week when they came home. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling mentally, emotionally, or spiritually, that You would be very near to them and that the presence of the Lord Jesus by Your Spirit would be very true and real. And Lord, that You would minister the truth of Your promises to them, that You never leave Your children and You always provide for them, that You always provide Your grace in their lives and enough to be able to walk through any difficulty. Lord, I pray for those this morning who are weak in faith, And who would say, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. And I pray that you would meet them exactly where they are. And that we would be an encouragement to one another in the gospel. To be able to speak the words of life. And that we would be those helping hands and arms and feet. That help to hold up our weak brethren. Lord, I pray for those around the world who are suffering this morning. And who worship in fear. Not knowing whether they will make it home or not because of an attack. or. Uh, something else that may happen to them, where people who live and are actually in opposition to them and, and hate that they are worshiping You. Lord, I pray that You would strengthen our brethren, that You would remind us of our unity with them in Christ. And Lord, we pray for them as we pray that they do pray for us. And Lord, we thank You that You do hear us this morning, that we cry out to the true and living God, the One who answers prayer and hears them. In Your name, Amen. True. Sure. morning to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 25 to 34 this morning. Matthew, chapter 6. Uh, This morning's sermon is entitled, Ruling Over Our Anxieties. Matthew, chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Today we finish part two of a two-part passage of Scripture. Last week we looked at ruling over our affections, and that's the first part of this passage beginning in verse 19. And we're answering the questions last week and this week. Is God enough? Is He enough for me? Is He enough for my family? Is He enough for this world? Is He enough for my church? And can you trust Him? And that ultimately is the thrust of this passage that we read this morning, can you trust God? Can you trust Him with your life, with your children, with your finances, with your hopes and your dreams, your career? Can you trust Him with all of your energy? In the larger section, beginning in verses 19 through 34, Jesus is teaching us about our heart and our mind, our desires and our thought patterns. Last week in verses 19 to 24, we looked very closely at the impossibility of storing up treasures in heaven while resting all of our hope and all of our security in the goods of this world. And today in verses 25 to 34, Jesus builds on this, looking not only at our heart, but also at our mind, our anxieties. Worry and fear are powerful forces in the day and age that we live in. Entire industries assume that you have them, and they promise that they have the great solution. If only you get what they have, your fears and your worries and your anxieties will be gone. It's all that you need. Come and buy one more thing. Put one more thing in the back room of your house, and you will finally be secure. In the Bible, there's a link between our faith and our anxieties. The kind that Jesus is even talking about here. Worrying about food and clothes, what we wear, what we put on, what we're going to eat. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Take care, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief leading you to fall away from the living God. Your anxieties, your fears, and your belief in your Heavenly Father are connected. And any of the struggles that you have here are related to unbelief. And that is where we fight. That is where we fight, not only our desires. That sometimes do not glorify the Lord, but also our thoughts. The way that we think, the things that you thought about when you got up this morning, the things that you thought about last night when you laid your head on your pillow. What are the things that make you anxious, that make you worry? What are the things that drive up fears in your heart? The Bible says that it might be related to unbelief. I said we're answering a question. Do you trust God? Can you trust Him? Will you trust Him? There are two sides to this. I want to be very clear and also very careful. There is a side of how we are made, because the Lord made us, He knows, that clinical anxiety is true and real. And there are people who suffer from it. And so, it would be very unkind and unloving to say to our brothers and sisters who struggle with this, well, if you just had more faith, Jesus would be real to you. I think that's a disservice to our brothers and sisters. The Lord has given us advances in science and medicine, and faith and medicine do not have to be in conflict, though in this world sometimes they are pitted against one another. We believe, as those who open the Bible and take it by faith, that the Lord has given us all of the advances of science, and these are nothing but the blessings from his hand. So we should be very careful in this sensitive area with one another, that we do well to love one another, to tread really lightly. In being prescriptive with one another. Or assuming knowledge because we know a little something. That we know exactly what the cure is for somebody else's anxiety. Praise the Lord for these advances. And if you or someone that you love does suffer from clinical anxiety or depression. May the Lord be with you. May he encourage you. May he give you faith. But you should not feel down or lack of faith. Because you need help in that area. Praise the Lord that there is help. These things are not in conflict with the Bible. We should be open to hearing the voice of the Lord in any crisis of belief. And that we not dismiss the prodding of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps He is working in your heart through your anxieties. But you shouldn't feel less than or beneath if you need help. And you should be able to be confident to cry out for it as a child of the living God. Knowing that He hears you. This morning as we look at this passage, I want to do so under two headings. Number one, Jesus' unmistakably simple logic. And secondly, consider Him who said, but I say to you. Number one, Jesus' unmistakably simple logic. I think the first thing that we take away from this passage is that Jesus is saying, think. Take some time, get away, sit down, go outside and think. Go on a walk with Jesus as He walks you through this passage. Think about life. Use your brain. Think. Sometimes you might ask your children or someone else, what were you thinking when you did that? And sometimes the response, and maybe some of you know this, from little boys is, well, I wasn't. Then that's as honest an answer as you're going to get sometimes. I wasn't thinking. And here Jesus is inviting His people to think. Think with your heart. Think with your mind. Open your eyes. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's not just saying work hard and do better and read the Bible and everything will work out. Here Jesus is saying think and look. But we have to know first of all that our minds, this blessing that God has given us, is something that must be renewed. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Half of the things that it just listed about how the Bible is profitable are things that you might say are corrective. Things that were incorrect about thinking. So when the Bible says that, And if we believe that it is the Bible that renews our mind by the Spirit of God, then there are things and ways that you and I think that need to be corrected. If every time you think about something, you're always right, something is wrong. The Bible says we have to be corrected. We have to be trained. It doesn't mean that you don't have wisdom. It doesn't mean that at all. But there are thought patterns and ways of thinking that have to be transformed by the Scriptures. And Jesus is telling us here in the Sermon on the Mount that even those who are citizens of the kingdom have to have transformed minds. So, what does Jesus tell us to look at? What does he tell us to think about? I want to give you four things. Jesus' unmistakably simple logic is look at the whole of life and ask yourself, what is it that you're seeking? Look at the whole of your life. If you were to sum it up, what am I after? What is the the heartbeat of my life? What do I want from it? What do I want from my church or my children? What do I want from my finances or my job? He wants you to have a big picture, to step back. If you're familiar with using a camera, there's a feature where you can zoom in or zoom out. And sometimes if you give a camera to someone, well, I can't see everybody. What do you say? Zoom out. Step back a little bit. Think bigger. Get a bigger picture. Have you ever noticed that what happens to you when you become anxious about something, maybe this is you, it begins to dominate your thinking and you see everything else in light of that anxiety. It seems to you that everything depends on resolving that anxiety and indeed to you everything in your life seems related to it. When that is taking over your thinking, your world keeps getting crushed down smaller and smaller and smaller. And almost everything that you bump into or turn around and see seems to be related to it. Jesus is saying that food and clothing are the basic things of life. They're servants, tools in your daily life. But the role shouldn't be reversed. These servants shouldn't be the masters of your life. And Jesus goes a step further and says these can't be the masters. In the life of one who belongs in the kingdom of God, they simply can't be. There's only room for one person on the throne, and it is Him. It can't be seeking after things. He says, Look at the creation. See how your heavenly Father feeds the birds and clothes the flowers of the field. And if He provides clothes for them and food for them, won't He do just as much, and if not more, than for you? That's the logic of this passage. Take a look at all of life. Romans chapter 8 verse 32, if you question that. If you question that God can provide. If I put all of my faith in him, if I give him my finances, how can I be sure that he will provide for my family? Go to Romans 8:32. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The question of whether or not God will and can provide was answered on the cross. He gave His beloved, only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for your sins and for mine, that we would be forgiven, to pay a debt we could not pay on ourselves. So if you wonder, if you question, if I trust Him with my finances, if I trust Him with my job, if I trust Him to step away from my job, will He provide? He absolutely will. He cares for His own. Secondly, look at nature and ask the question, who is in control? Who sets the limits on life? Look in verse 27. Jesus asks the question, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Well, what's the logic there? And what's a cubit? It's about 18 inches. And actually, I don't think it's about making anyone 18 inches taller. Because likely that would be a big deal. And if you could do that simply by worrying... I think we would all be giants. Jesus is saying which of you, by worrying, can add to the span of your life at all? Can you add 18 minutes, even an hour? Can you add years or days to your life? You can't. And if you can't do that by worrying, and as you look at the logic, here he is saying if you can't do that, then why even spend your time on it at all? Worrying is worthless. It doesn't help you. It only makes things worse, He's saying. And it's logical, but I don't think that's all that Jesus means here. He is saying worrying is worthless, but I believe there's more beauty in this passage and more beauty in this this part of Scripture that I think we should think about. It's, it is logical. What is the, the transformed mind part about in this part of Jesus' logic? What is it that should be transformed? That your life... All of it is in the hands of your Heavenly Father. He designed it. He knows the end of it from the beginning. He knows about the day that you were conceived. He knows the day that you were born, the day that you will die, and the day that He will take you home to be in heaven with Him forever. He plans every step for you, every step of the way to fulfill His purpose for you and through you. You will have all your needs fulfilled. And He will give you everything that you need to fulfill that purpose. The purpose that He made you for. And when all of that is accomplished, when you have done everything that He has given you to do as your heavenly Father, He will take you home. There will not be a delay. There won't be a wait a minute. I've got something that happened. I got surprised. I got hung up at work. You will go home to be in heaven with Him. And until then, you are invincible. Do you believe that, dear child of God? That until it's time for Him to take you home, you are invincible. doesn't mean that you won't go through trials. doesn't mean that you won't have difficulties. But until He's ready to take you home, you will be here. Number three, what should you look at? What should you think about in this passage? Look at the Lord's generosity. And this may take a little bit of a stretch, but look at the Lord's generosity in your life. We inherited our sinful nature from Adam and Eve in the garden. And one of the very powerful parts of that sin nature that we inherited that remains in us today is a sinister suspicion of our Heavenly Father. You say, well, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, give me just a moment. I think you probably do. Have you ever thought He's withholding good things from me? Have you ever thought He's forgotten about us? He doesn't remember us? Or he won't take care of us now. We turned the wrong way to the right or to the left, and now he's gone. He's removed his hand from our lives, and we are alone. We are the ones who have to figure it out. Do you ever believe that? Is it ever possible that you think, I am an orphan in this world, and I am all alone? He says in verse 32, that the pagans of this world run after all these things. And it's the same word that he uses in verse 33 to say that you and I should be seeking the kingdom of God first. They are seeking after all of these things. They need money and wealth. And just as it was said in Sunday school, before you are a citizen of the kingdom, this world is for you. Everything that you do in your pursuit of things, this world is for you. It's designed for that. But the moment that you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ... And take His gift. This world is at odds with your faith. And you have new enemies. I don't mean your neighbors or people who work across the counter from you. Those in the next cubicle or down the hall. I mean enemies of the living God who want nothing more than to supplant your faith. And take it away. He's not good. He'll leave you. He's not going to provide. He won't come through. The same things that they disbelieved in the garden... That God is good and that He does care for His children. Here Jesus is saying, the pagans run after these things. Those who don't know a heavenly Father. But you do and you shouldn't. You can't. If you are a citizen of the kingdom, you cannot serve God and money. Or God and mammon, as we looked at last week. Lastly, the fourth thing to look at is to seek first. The kingdom of God. And what does he mean by seek? He means to make it a priority. He says seek first. doesn't say that seeking things to provide for your family, to be a hard worker, to do well at your job, to provide, to put away money or food, crops. He's not saying give up farming. He can't be saying that. It's the way that he chooses to feed his people. What he's saying is is don't run after those things for your identity, for who you are. Don't see in those things. This is me. And look in the mirror. And as I said with the children last week, run your fingers through your suspenders and say, I'm doing all right when everything is going well. Because you will be crushed under the weight of not doing well when the times change. That's not who you are. It's not your worth. You are a child of the living God. He says, Seek me. And I said that the title of this sermon is Ruling Over Your Anxieties. And it's our responsibility as children of God, to to have those in our grip. They are not to grip you. They are to be in your grip. Anxiety can never be cured by getting more of what we have already. Many people make this fatal mistake. Anxiety can only be cured by the assurance that all of our needs will be met by our King. And if you're not assured of that, dear dear one here this morning, then you will do everything in your power to try to find security in it. If you don't believe that He's providing, you will be forced to in your mind. Your brain will not allow you to let go and have faith unless you believe that He is in control. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6-8 through eight. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. With having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. So in one place Jesus says, Don't worry about those things. And here, Paul writing to young Timothy says, if you have food and clothing, be content. And I think this is one of the great hidden mysteries of the Gospel. That you and I, whether it is a season of plenty or a season of leanness, may have contentment in the Lord Jesus Christ, because we know that He is the one who holds us. I think that is something that the world longs to see. People who are not gripped by the things that they have, but who use them as tools and glorify God with them, whether they have plenty or whether they don't. I think it is a true test of our faith. And it is a difficult one. And I know that some of you go through it. And it is painful. And it is very hard. And we should be praying for one another that in the seasons that we enjoy much of the Lord's blessings, that we wouldn't look in the mirror and say, I have finally gotten there. We should say, praise God that He provides and in the same breath say that tomorrow if he takes it away i know that he will provide them too and he will give grace to get me through it even if i don't have it in the bank account to tell me that i'm secure i want to just say a few things about what it means to seek the kingdom of god and give you a couple examples it's kind of a a nebulous part of the passage how do you do that what does it look like how do i know if i'm seeking the kingdom what does it mean i want to give you a few of few ideas. To seek the kingdom is to seek the King. To seek Him. And you're doing that this morning, being here at church on the Lord's day to worship Him. To love Him as your Savior and as your friend and to bow to Him as your Lord. To trust the God who has chosen us, redeemed us and taught us to trust Him. To seek His kingdom means to seek Him and to be in His presence. To seek the kingdom is to pray for it. As we looked at A few weeks ago, praying your kingdom come. Lord, would you come and rule and reign in this world? And would you rule in my heart? That I wouldn't be mastered by things or things that I can buy. To seek the kingdom means to evangelize. To share the Gospel. To believe that friends and neighbors and people that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ need to hear the Gospel. Because one day they will go to a place called hell if they don't believe in the Lord. They will pay for their sins. That should move your heart. It should change how you interact with people. It should change the way you think about them and pray for them. And to seek the kingdom means to submit personally to God's reign by obeying Him. Are there marks of obedience in your life as a disciple? Are there ways that you could say, this year I obeyed in ways that I had to learn. There were things that I had to unlearn about how I thought life worked and what it meant to be a Christian. And I see how God is advancing in my life. And I am making progress. By the grace of God, it's not me. It's Him working in me. And you should be happy and confident. Not with a sense of pride that I did it, but that I know my Savior works in me by His Spirit. I'm not stuck in neutral. I am moving on. And He is calling me to higher ground. Number two, consider Him who said, but I say to you. This stuck out to me in this passage of Scripture, and I decided to wait until the end to look at it. Because I think you and I should think about this very deeply. It should move our hearts. Who is saying it? When Jesus said in verse 25, Therefore, I say to you. How many people want to tell you what they think? Well, let me tell you something. How many times do you hear that a week? And it's almost like when you're in a conversation, talking with people and you're sharing something, you can just tell. They're just waiting. As soon as you give them a moment, they're jumping in. They're going to tell you. Well, let me tell you something. Here's Jesus, and he says, I say to you, think about the authority that comes behind any statement that he makes. I'm the creator and the sustainer of the universe. I am the God who spoke all things into existence, and I'm trying to tell you, I am telling you about real life in the kingdom. He says, don't worry. He says it three different times in this passage. Don't worry. Don't worry. Who is saying it? Think about His understanding for you. He knows you deeply. And think about who's saying it. His compassion and His love. It's Jesus speaking to you. Your Savior. He's telling you. Come here. Come take a walk. Let's talk about life. Let's talk about the things that keep you up at night. And the things that you're spending your money on. Your time on. Let me talk to you about those things. Listen to what I have to say. I'm wanting to help you. There is freedom walking with me. It's not restriction. The deep, dark shadow that hung over his entire earthly life. Think about this one who said, but I say to you. A German evangelical pastor wrote shortly after World War II, What could Jesus' promises of freedom from anxiety mean to those Germans living through the Allied invasion of Germany? We know the sights and sounds of homes collapsing in flames. Our eyes have heard the sound of crashing, falling, and shrieking. In such times, the inevitable, the invitation from Jesus to consider the birds and the lilies seems inept. Yet, he goes on to say, we must stop and listen when this man, whose life on earth was anything but bird-like and lily-like, as He points us to the carefreeness of birds and lilies. The shadow of the cross already loomed over the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus spoke to His disciples that day. So it is reasonable for us to trust the Father in a dark hour because Jesus, our exemplar, did so as well. Moreover, Jesus blazed a trail through life's troubles, tasting death itself and defeating it on our behalf. Consider him who said, but I say to you. Jesus knew exactly what was coming at the end of his life. He knew what would take place in the garden. He knew Judas would betray him. He knew that everyone would leave him and he would be all by himself. He knew that Peter would have confidence and yet walk away. That he would be scared as a little girl came and asked him, you were one of his friends, right? All of this... Jesus knew as he was speaking to his disciples, and yet he took the time to care and to have compassion on them, to tell them about life and what was really in their heart. And lastly, consider him who said, I say to you. Consider his holding power when your faith is weak and frail, and remember his prayer from John chapter 6. He said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. All that the Father gives me will come to me. That's you and me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. This is the will of the Father who sent me. That of all He has given me I shall lose nothing, but shall raise it up on the last day. Are you anxious, dear one? Is your faith weak? Are there things that have weighed down your heart to the point that you don't know if you have faith? I want to share a couple lines from a, a song. They say, when I fear that my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold, but He will hold me fast. Your hope, dear child of the living God this morning, is not that you hold God, but that you believe by faith that what Jesus said in John 6 is true that He holds you. And He will take you home to heaven one day to be with Him forever. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the gift of Your Word. I thank You for the the times that we are able to open it and read it. Not just here on Sunday morning as we worship, but also other days of the week as we open it and receive life from You. Just as surely as we eat bread from a plate, You feed Your people through Your Word. And Lord, I pray for us, all of us, who have anxieties and fears and things that worry our hearts, that do keep us up at night. Lord, that we would give those to You, that we would cast them on Jesus because we believe that You care for us. Lord, I do pray that You would be with those who do struggle and suffer, that You would carry them and that You would hold them in the palm of Your hand and that You would remind them that You never leave them and You never forsake them and that Your payment on the cross And your perfect sinless life is evidence enough to know that you will provide for your people. In your name, amen. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 679 Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Thank you for the gentle and sweet reminder that this is your world. And I pray that you would help our hearts to know that in the midst of what seems like so much wrong that is very strong in this world, that you are the ruler of it, that all things happen according to your plan. And we pray for grace and faith to trust you. And Lord, we pray that you would use our tithes and our offerings for the sake of your glory and the spread of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that sinners, sinners, who do not know You would hear the Gospel out of our faithfulness. And Lord, I pray that You would help us as we trust You with our finances individually and as a church family, that we would see You provide super abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And we know that according to Your Word that You will supply all of our need. Lord, help us with that to be content. In Your name. Amen.